greetings and welcome to Liminal Light, a show that explores the languages of myth and lore, sky and star, earth and embodiment through astrology, art, and spirit engagement. I'm your host, Chris. Enjoy. Okay, welcome everybody. I am back once again with my friend Merrily. Um, welcome, Merrily. Hi. Thank you. So, before we get rolling, for people that didn't hear you on the show before or might not know you personally, do you want to let them know what you do? Yeah, um, I'm an artist. I work mainly in. Um, audio and video performance, um, sort of a intermingling of all those at once. Um, and I'm also a adjunct faculty, a college professor, and I teach within the realms of digital art and, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So some of the stuff we're going to talk about is things that you've, you've introduced to your students at at certain points, right? Yeah. Although not quite, we're probably not quite at the, um, <laughs> in, uh-huh. we'll be discussing them, but yeah, this is definitely stuff that I've been interested in researching because it fills in so many gaps within digital art and technologies. Yeah. And then just, yeah, like you said, like being so multimedia oriented, um, in your artistic practice, like, like in like a immersive, realities um it's totally looking at like multiplicitous media is is definitely like you um you seem to not shy away from it as much as like some other people might you know? right <laughs> <laughs> all just inspiring um, at once <laughs> yeah yeah right <laughs> so before we get really rolling um we this is kind of like we're reanimating a conversation I was having when I was staying with Merrily about um, the astrology of now and upcoming and, and virtual reality in general and kind of what we're moving into um, in the material world and in technology. The, the kind of factors I was going to kind of outline are Uranus's ingress into Taurus, uh, which happened in mid-May of last year, May um, 15th, 16th, 2018, but then retrograded back into Aries for one last stint and then is going back into Taurus for the long haul in, um, I think, March 3rd for seven years. And where Uranus is radicalizes and like causes that what that the significations of that sign to innovate and revolutionize and get experimental and it disrupts things and volatizes them and kind of hot rods them and um, technolo- uh, technologizes things in there. So with um, Taurus, it's like material culture, things about craft and just pace and or- like the organic pace and rhythm of the natural world and fertility and fecundity and things growing. So it's going to be like food. Um, material culture generally there's always big um, art movements that happen when Uranus is in Taurus um, and then kind of making markets destabilized and and sensuality generally and like just the sensory world um, sensorial experience but it's interesting that it's 
uh, you get this thing where you can kind of like, oh, well, that makes sense when you look back and you're like, that was a bad time for the economy. It was like, you know, and it was, and check it out. It was a good time for art. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Usually when the economy is under stress, you know, so then the other factor is, and that's going to be, that's roughly, we can say 2018 to 2026. And that's in an earth sign. So meanwhile, Saturn and Jupiter come together to into conjunction. Um, <clears throat> they're referred to as the great chronocraters for this reason. Um, every about every twenty years, so that's ten times every two hundred years. And for that whole set, um, they're in almost the same element, with some exceptions on the ends, where it starts to overlap with what the next element is going to be. Um, and so that's it. Was all happened in in Earth signs? So the past two hundred years, everything that's happened in basically in our industrialized world in our tech um our world of technology is and and where geopolitics is right now et cetera like where a lot of the the national borders are like kind of the world as we know it the industrial world fits into that uh, earth sign period and you can follow it two ways one is um by the exact conjunctions and that's where you'll get those overlaps and then another by making a mathematical average. And so these are called like mean conjunctions. Mm -hmm. So in 1981, we had the first air sign conjunction in Libra. And that's where we get Apple computers. Um, and then in the around, it's like either 2000 or 2001 is the, the last, um, the first air sign, like mean conjunction, like technically by average, the air, we're already in the air epoch as of 2000, but there is just a couple more. There's just another like earth conjunction in, and we had to wait until 2020 for the actual conjunction to happen. So around 2000, we get the internet explosion. And so just in next year, we're going to get the actual, um, conjunction in air signs in Aquarius for the long haul. And so this has this, thinking about um, a lot of writing has been done about this over, over looking at history and being like, okay, well, this is a fire epoch. This is a water epoch. And looking at things like, um, like navigation during water periods and, and during this earth period, we just had like industry and territory, like, um, and, you know, kind of trying to accumulate resources and hold and, and protect territory it was kind of the, and just material cultures, uh, materialist paradigm. So officially entering the air epoch, start wondering like, okay, well, what is this going to be like? And start looking at, um, you know, a lot of different things. Like I was listing earlier, like drone delivery, e-commerce, cryptocurrency, virtual space. A lot of the stuff we'll be talking about today. Um, so Uranus kind of, comes in in 2018 into Taurus and spends like about three and a half years on the earth side uh, of this epoch shift. And then the second three and a half years into the air side. So as you know, it's like it's time in Taurus splits the, the 200 year periods of, of a uh, earth and then air. So it's kind of the change to material culture in, in the interim, like at the threshold. And then the final component that we were discussing and we'll touch back on all this stuff, but along the way, but is, um, when Neptune is in a sign, it, 
shows, you know, you'll hear people say like, oh, it shows what's the collective dream of that generation. But you also can get a lot of information about like what drugs or people people are on or acclimated to. And so um, for people with Neptune and Aquarius, who that's from roughly 1998 to 2012, um, what what kind of drug are, are they going to be involved in? Like in people born um, from 1970 to 1983 have um, Neptune in, in Sagittarius. And so they were born during like cocaine and amphetamines and barbiturates. And um, during disco, they were born during the disco era. But as they became like young adults, like 20 somethings, um, that was the time of rave drugs. And it was, you can see that parallel of celebratory, like loud, like blinking light environments and, and upper type drugs. And then for people born with between 83 and 98, we have a Neptune and Capricorn. And so they were born during the crack era, like the crack epidemic started roughly like 1984 and then went widespread, like in U S cities. And, um, they were born during the time of like rap and metal and grunge music. And then as they came to be like college age, it was like, this is like all the, all the people on Ritalin and Prozac and Adderall and like drugs to study harder and pay attention very Capricorny, and then, then after that, people born between nineteen ninety eight and two thousand eleven are the people who have Neptune and Aquarius in their charts, and um, they're born during the tech explosion and then the the information age as we know it. Um, you know, they're like they wouldn't see be, be seeing music on MTV anymore. It'd be like YouTube music and playlists, and they would devices would come with GarageBand and the ability to just like readily make music, um, et cetera. And then, uh, I was trying to think about like the main topic is like, what drugs are they going to be into when they get to be into their twenties? And I think the youngest ones, the one in the ones in 1998 are 21 today, but the ones born in uh, 2011 are only eight years old. So when like the average, starts to be like 20 somethings, like what drugs are they going to be into? And then that's why we're talking today about virtual reality and, um, digital drugs. But, but I was like, well, what drugs were they born? What drug epidemic were they born into? And it's a briefer period, but I was, uh, it seems like bath salts. (laughs) 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 That was like the one thing I could like, that was like, that's only in that era, not in another, you know, like, uh, and it is kind of interesting because bath salts make people have a completely disassociated experience. <sighs> like they're doing one thing, but acting out another, you know, like um, people will, that was like, they'd like find people like hanging from the side of a building or stuck in like a sewer pipe. Or my favorite one was I was in uh, Rapid City and I saw the graffiti on the wall that said like, so-and-so's on bath salts and I was talking to someone I was like oh you guys have bath salts there because it was huge in Maine and they were like oh yeah and I was like what's the craziest thing that happened and they said that someone drove their truck like into a Cabela's then up the four season taxidermy mountain oh my god it's <laughs> amazing <laughs> but I don't think that's what they were experiencing in their mind it was almost like tropane alkaloids like they're like they just thought they were doing 
whatever. Like they were like, oh, I was at home on my couch, passed out, but really they were driving around inside Cabela's, you know. Oh, right. Right. Or did they see the mountain and the and no Cabela's? Yeah, no Cabela's. <laughs> right, just the mountain. <laughs> Yeah, I can't see Cabela's right now. <laughs> and then even like, yeah, like bath salts, you know, like it's like the it's an immersion experience, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, you think it'd be more water sign related. <laughs> yeah, it's, but it's weird because Aquarius is the water bearer. It's like the one that it's an air sign that like clouds themselves, like bring water. It's like... um it's the the air that brings about the water of Pisces, you know. Mm, there we go. Yeah, I think also, uh, you know, not to be that person. It's like, uh, you know, smartphone addiction is real, but smartphone <laughs> addiction is real. So, oh yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, another yeah. drug that's like a very uh, understandable segue into like virtual reality. Yeah, totally. This would, yeah, and, oh wait, go ahead. Uh, just to have this like handheld device that's constantly around that you can just easily transport yourself or at least transport your attention to something like larger or, you know, somewhat mystical, but also super mundane and, and connected socially to your like non-avatar life. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and I know we've talked about... Um, like when when you're not the real kind of the real like transition happening is when there's no longer a screen that you're interacting with like that um the media becomes holographic right possibly like is in the room with you or you you're able to go into an other world with it you know where it doesn't it doesn't require an, an apparatus that has like a like a window that you're looking through you know right yeah that you actually forget that you're connected or that you're using a device at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know you had talked about like when we were talking back and forth, you were kind of like, well, what about when Uranus goes into Gemini? And I thought that that was really poignant. We were like, cause that could be like twin realities. Yeah. Yeah. So in thinking about, um, well, we were talking about Adam Gazzali doing like the neuroscape, neuro, the neuroscientist who's looking at, sorry, there's things going on in the room. <laughs> okay. Um, his research being like how to work with the mind and work with virtual reality in a sort of medical way. Um, and can you improve the health of the mind? Can you improve or prevent or stave off something like Alzheimer's with virtual reality gaming. And um, so in thinking about that, the transition into Gemini, I was like, oh, that's actually two realities at the same time, you know, because it's what you're doing virtually is ho hopefully having some sort of impact on the actual mind and on the actual body. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting that the sort of Gemini connection, realizing that they're simultaneous and they're very connected, but they're also still these independent entities. Of yeah. 
yeah, and I like how you said <clears throat> rather than it being um, like an individual experience, it would be perhaps like immersive and also um, in connectedness with others. Like when you like go in into a virtual reality, like other people are there, you know, you're not just like, um, like I feel like with the screen that you look at, like say with the smartphone, like, and it's like a window you're looking through, you get to be a voyeur and you get to like really Uranus and Aries style, like hot rod your own identity and like make your own version of yourself. That's like this, like, uh, kind of like super powered version of yourself that you can kind of present, like you said, as like your avatar version, you know, mm-hmm. and it's very like, uh, it's sort of very clumsy. It's just you, you get to present some photos and some videos of that person. It's like one unit at a time. Right. But if you were actually to like step in all the way, you know, then you'd suddenly have to deal with a lot of the same, um, social connectedness, like factors, like dynamics that you would like in the real world, you know? Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, virtual reality had like a starting point early on and it just kind of faded off. I don't know if you remember in the movies when they were like, totally <laughs> like the mall would have, if you, you know, had a cool mall, they had a uh, yeah. booth where you got to go inside. I never got to go in, but I thought, wow, that's so futuristic. And then all of a sudden it like disappeared. Uh, you no longer saw them, but dip and are still there. You know, there's still some. Right. Yeah. And, and now we're seeing it reemerge. It's like it refined itself and, people working with it are trying to understand how to make it more approachable, less device-based, less screen-based. Totally. Also, like, more social, because before it was just, like, one person at a time puts on this headset, and whatever you do, only you can see. You know, engineers could see a screen of what you're seeing, but it's not the same as being immersed in it. But it's going to become more social where people interact with each other in that virtual realm like just as immersively. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I was surprised to see those same headsets come back. Like those like nineties style, like big, like, uh, you know, the giant eye viewer that comes over and like when they kind of made it, put it back on the commercial market, like either last year or the year before. And, and they showed like video commercial videos of people using it. And it's like, even grandpa's using it and he's like, wow, you got to try this. You know? <laughs> but I was surprised to see the same thing return. I really was like, Oh, that didn't work. People aren't going to want to like have like gloves with like cables coming off of them and like a big helmet on. And like, it's like, to wall. Um, it's, yeah, totally. Like it's going to have to work differently. But recently I've been seeing, um, like when I was checking out, um, Dr. Gazali's stuff and his lab is called Neuroscape and it's uh, part of like the University of California, I believe, but he has the, um, the company that he started that designs and, and makes his games is called um, Achille and they're out of Boston, but seeing some of the videos of their tech, like over and over, you see sometimes this um, brain cap that they'll wear that just looks like, like a thin hood with like, um, you know what you used to like have to like glue all the, the like electrodes to your head to get like the, um, you know, the neurological like readout on a piece of paper with all the like little pens at the end of like the claw, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean? And now you, now it looks like they're just 
like people don't even have shaved heads or anything. There's just this like thin like cloth with these nodes on it that people are wearing and they're getting, they're getting these um, like EKG results or something from that. Yeah, totally. He's using like biofeedback for some of them. I saw a demonstration of the neuro drummer game and um, he had like Mickey Hart as his guinea pig part. So he's wearing who's, you, you want to remind people who that is? Oh, yeah. Mickey Hart being a percussionist from the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who, I believe his mother actually suffers from Alzheimer's. So this was like a poignant project for him to be a part of the research. Um, but yeah, so he's wearing this helmet and they had the the biofeedback because I guess the, if I remember correctly, it was like the Theta waves, some of the waves that his brain was sending out were actually sonified in the game. Mm-hmm. So the music, the game music was being made real time based off of what his brain was sending out. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, and then I saw some of their, some of their, um, they'll do some of their treatments. Like this, What you know, a lot of stuff that they're presenting, you're like, it's for training. It's they don't use the um, the words like brain training anymore because it's became it became like commercially complicated. Like that uh, that company Luminosity got like fined two million dollars for for being like if your kid plays this like they'll get smarter, you know. And they're like, no, that's not. You don't actually know that. That's like false advertising, you know. <laughs> So, like, Dr. Gasly, who's trying to get these games approved by the FDA, and then they'll um, officially become digital drugs, which is the term he's using, which is why, you know, that's the jump-off point from the um, Neptune and Aquarius thing we're talking about. Like, if if this becomes a drug, like, you know, Neptune and Capricorn is like Litterin and Ritalin and Adderall and Prozac era you know, if this becomes a drug, then it's also something as a medicine, it's also something that can be abused and you, and it can become epidemic and become addicted to like, because they are monitoring your own, um, like alpha and beta waves and, and making it so high potency. Like it's like that it's on this other level of, of like how stimulating it is from just like a video game. Like, but also I saw that they were doing, um, what they were calling non-invasive brain stimulation, mm-hmm. uh, where they're, I'll just read the quote from their site. There's a growing scientific literature that non-invasive brain stimulation can be used to improve cognitive abilities in diverse populations. This has been demonstrated with stimulation directly through the scalp using both magnetic fields, transcranial magnetic stimulation, and electrical currents, transcranial direct current stimulation, TT. TDCS, transcranial alternating current stimulation. Um, The neuroscience program's focus on non-invasive brain stimulation current aims to assess if TDCS and TACS applied during engagement in video game training can be used to enhance positive learning effects. So, like, not only are they making these fully immersive, high-potency environments that whose own um, algorithms are based around your natural brain um like alpha and beta waves and that your own alpha and beta waves are are being um like you said for instance sonified or 
made part of the input of stimulation within the game itself. But at the same time, there also can be like putting like a electric and magnetic stimulation on your scalp and skull and like adding more, uh, more stimul like more input that way. So at that, they, the, they word it all like, it looks nice and it looks like very therapeutic, but it, if you start to sit back and like digest that, like that's that it's definitely, I don't think anyone's been there yet, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fascinating. Um, yeah, I guess so that sort of treatment has been used like the trans cranial uh, stimulation has been used for different ailments or just experimented with for treating like strokes and, and depression or pain. It's just sort of how our brain interprets its own, the body's own signals that like gets in there and rearranges things a little bit. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it is wild thinking about that. Like it's a very real, um, Electrical, what's the word I'm thinking of? Just uh, impact the type of yeah. brain. Like it's not just virtual reality, you know, where you're seeing something and maybe having some sort of haptic response from a vibrator, but having those in conjunction with each other is <laughs> like, yeah, massive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, where it's like, it's kind of like a, a wireless rewiring of your brain, you know, like yeah. how he's saying like, Oh, we, we can use these video games to treat different symptoms um, in different conditions, but they're, they're not using molecules that have all these side effects. They're just using, using um, experiences, but then like there are certain things slipped in there, like the non-invasive brain simulation. That's like very brief in the whole span of everything else they're showing that I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> the, and there's a couple of other things that, that are kind of like weird triggers to like, um, like he's talking about like the virtual attention trainer. Um, this one is designed to allow electrocephalography, like EEG recording during the game. And then, um, and just what the games are trying to do, like, uh, like where they're like, like, um, helping people engage for, uh, rewarding towards sparser environments is what one game reads. And then it says like, and this will help people to perform better in classrooms and offices, like where it gets really boring, but you have to pay attention anyway. <laughs> and then it's like, wait, isn't that like institutional brain, like brainwashing, you know, <laughs> like we're like, uh, like uh, training people with all this extra input to be in environments that it's, you're rewarded to pay attention to really boring things for a long time, you know? Right. Um, right. Then like, Another one was like cognitive paradigms, like and remembering faces and ignoring scenes. And that just like, I didn't, I don't know why that just sounded creepy to me. It was like, it helps people to remember faces and ignore the scenes around them. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's weird. Cause reading it, it starts to sound like the research being done for AI. 
Yeah, totally. It's like, let's give this data set and let's have it only focus on faces and not scenes. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought right away. It was kind of like trying to sync people's paradigms up with AI's paradigms. So they didn't seem as different from it. You didn't, once they roll out AI, you don't feel as different from them as you would have before because you're operating in a similar way or something. Or even taking the data sets from, I mean, just like we already do, you're taking them from real humans with or without permission and then training a machine, you know, training computers with that data set to begin to think that way, you know, being rewarded or, or punished if they you know, veer off the path. Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because it was talking about this cognitive paradigm, remembering faces, ignoring scenes, Mm. that through doing the game that it could, um, yeah, that it collects data from mobile devices and watches and and those like EEG caps that I was just wondering if people are just going to start wearing them. Like if it's like they're just going to be like, become fashionable you know yeah that remains to be seen google glass never took (laughs) off (laughs) right totally (laughs) yeah true (laughs) but you never know you know it's hard to predict which ones because it's not just what it looks like it's like what it actually offers people and if they feel like it's worth it and if the price point is correct you know yeah 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 yeah, it was just, I could, seeing it, I was like, this looks pretty funky, but I could totally imagine this on the runway in, like, no time, you know? Oh, my God, have you seen those, um, there's these headpieces from, it's, like, traditional Dutch headdresses for women, and they look so cybernetic, it's so sick, it's, like, a headband with, a, like, a small silver square that's protruding from the front of the head almost like a google glass or something but this is like you know maybe 19th century so i'm not exactly sure when they come from i wish i knew what they were called but I remember seeing images of it years ago in this like uh, costumes of the culture or <laughs> costumes of cultures around the world book and that has never left my mind i was like this is so futuristic and I don't know that it had any sort of function, like maybe it blocked sunlight, you know, I've never, yeah, yeah. but th- there are those echoes, those like ancient echoes of fashion that we come right back to and we're like, oh, well, ours is so much more technologically advanced. And you're like, actually, a pirate eye patch is pretty advanced. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, yeah. Over switch it over when you go to the top of the ship and you have an eye that can see in the light and then switch it over when you go down to the bottom of the ship and you can see in the dark just fine. Right. Totally. Uh, Yeah. That's brilliant. Yeah. And just like, um, once you start thinking about that's like retroactive technological fashion, like back in time, like, um, especially with like masks and things like that, or, or like you said, like headdresses and things like uh, be like, well, what is what does this thing do? And they might not be thinking about it in like a rationalist, materialist like way, where it's like, oh, well, it does this, like the action reaction. But they're like everything on it could have a purpose and could be essentially like affecting like the the spectrum of like material world to imaginal world to spirit world. You know that it's it's like, oh, I have to wear this 
for this reason. Like, and that's why I'm wearing it, you know, like it's doing things. Right. Right. Or any kind of jewelry or costume at all, you know? Totally. And then there's the other side of it that gets like, you know, where we get sort of enamored with this, a certain function uh, that we forget of the reality of that function or just it's like base level oh, yeah. abilities. I had the other day, somebody saw me texting with my gloves on and they're like, Oh, are those conductive gloves? I was like, no, like how does, <laughs> how does your screen work? I was like, these are real leather gloves. So it's like real skin is still touching the screen. Oh, wow. And they're like, Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> it's like, there's no, Whoa. you know, it's like yeah, I didn't re- I didn't realize that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I re- I really wonder about that like starting, you know, talking about the kind of um immersive realities that they're they're trying to create and virtually virtual realities or whatever virtual spaces or whatever are definitely going to happen and like we said like what happens first do we go in or do they come out into our world or is it like a combination of of both things at the same time, you know, like some of some, and then the two just, just, um, beginning to merge more and more like, yeah, I think, yeah, seeing it in, in material culture, like seeing it in fashion or, um, will be some of those like first steps to where certain things are allowed to be on either side, you know, like when, uh, like when you're, you can take your leather glove in into the virtual world or like, or you can wear your like EEG cap, like while you're out to dinner, you know, (laughs) but then they're just, they're just like, like the first kind of cracks and leaks for something that's a lot bigger to where you're like, um, you wake up in the morning and maybe you have like a holographic, um, router like you would a wireless router and you can just open up screens in your house and you can have like um, you need you don't even need like as much decoration for your house because some of it is just like holograph and you can change it all you want and you have like overlays over your own body or or you have games that you're playing in the room and other players and maybe if there are these like EEG caps and things like that that you're like um like you can feel physical sensations that are only happening within the like the virtual sphere, but they're transferring to your physical body, like as mm-hmm. as sensory stimuli, like where like where the like the line between one reality and another can like really start to fade really quickly, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, there's um I've been seeing advertisements for Smart Mirror, which is one of my Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been hoping I've been hoping that that never gets made, but lo and behold, there's now these yeah. mirrors where you could look in and I don't even know if it's if it's all based on like what your body looks like or if you you know put in certain if you have to touch it and it reads your vitals and I, I don't wow. I'm I'm honestly like it's just not for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a mirror enough is like it's bad enough just a standalone mirror, uh, but to have it connected with what your body is supposedly doing or like the datification of what your body is doing and feeling and experiencing how it's growing and aging. Like, I just don't want that shot back at me. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
Yeah, it's like um, the, pretty much the same thing that happens when you look in the mirror on acid, right? You know, and like why we're so afraid of it, you know? <laughs> totally. I've actually never done that. <laughs> yeah. I've heard, yeah. Well, it's like kind of like the warning of like the narcissist like myth and, um, you know, it's more about more than just about like falling in love with your reflection, but just getting getting hypnotized by the mirror, you know, right. yeah, and ha- yeah. And having it be able to have a hold over you, that's really frightening. Um, one thing I was thinking about was, um, one of these, one of the games that Dr. Gasly has, um, that they're, I think it's still under development, but it's called labyrinth. And it's like, you're in, you have like the headset on and you're, but you're in like a um, fully immersive like cityscape and it's about trying to like navigate around the city. And I guess maybe on the first levels you get to just walk around and check stuff out. And then it starts challenging you to, to like find the, um, the most efficient route from one place to another, which is just funny that it's like, it's basically just like the, the like technological fix for what like um, Google maps has done to us. You know, it's like now, you do it without that. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> and and that, that like, that will offset like Alzheimer's like symptoms. And you're just like, Oh yeah, well what if we just like didn't use that, you know? Um, but and then he, then on the video I watched, like um, it says like, and then there's real things thrown in the grid, like cityscape, like Starbucks and Chase Bank. <laughs> <laughs> Like super real things like that, you know. <laughs> Those real things you can't ever seem to get away from. Yeah, right. Let's build them into our new virtual environments. <laughs> totally, yeah. Like what? What are we going to take with us? Like our leather gloves or our our Starbucks? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but yeah, it just made me think a lot about which something I've been thinking about a lot recently is like um foraging and tracking you know and um and that's i feel like that's going to be a big part of what happens with uranus and in a in taurus as well like you know as we get possibly like cryptocurrencies that can monitor what we value better than money we're like you know we're like this much money is like how much it costs to get into this music show and but the like that same amount of money buys you this many Snickers bars, which buys you a fraction of an automobile, you know, like we're like this ability to have multiple realities. Um, and just to think multiplicity, multiplicitously, um, you know, like they're like, Oh, there's lots of different, uh, value systems. There's not just like a standard currency value. There's many different currencies, which I think is like maybe what is going to happen rather than like, People being like, "Oh, what is cryptocurrency? It's just digital money," but it it'll be like, "Oh, that's there's everything has everything that there's value for has a current its own currency, you know." And then like three D printing, like being able to like make any form um, that you desire, and then you know what's going to happen with like kind of the the en- the end of binaries in general, you know, like when we have like a generally multiplicitous reality in currency and gender and spatial experience and sensory experience that like we won't see things in a binary way. And um, even like dualistic morality theologies will kind of 
fade. But at the same time of all this happening, because it's still Uranus in a uh, in an Earth sign, we might see like um, as material culture changes, it's also going to be about like rewilding and about um, ecological technologies and kind of like retro, um, you know, trying to stuff that's like retroactive, like technologies like leaves that like, you know, artificial leaves that suck in carbon and things like this, you know, on a large scale. And, and a lot of the labor force who aren't working in factories anymore when it's AI and robots and 3d printing, mostly making things like, um, having like, like giant full scale, um, like almost like permaculture-esque, like ecological reform kind of agencies and rewilding on a large scale, but that people will more like resource sharing, how like, you know, um, younger people more into sharing resources than owning them, um, that this ability to go into wild space and track and forage becoming like a, of great appreciation and great material value and a lot of um the stuff that seems to be like like virtual reality is definitely happening but some of the stuff that might seem like a a fix coming from that direction might also be engaged in real reality you know but uh and is is like could we just is that is the medicine already there without the virtual component like could we just like could you just like have your um, your doctor prescribed like like foraging herbs as like your treatment for Alzheimer's, you know? Well, I mean, that's back to that Gemini theme, right? Because that is yeah. happening. Now we're seeing, there's also this push for um, forest bathing for uh, yeah, stress right. reduction, you know? It's like a push to make it a legit thing to prescribe for a doctor to say, you should go walk in the forest for an hour. You know, right. by yourself yeah. without a device. <laughs> you know, there are seeing yeah. things actually having the same kind of push simultaneously. Right, totally. Yeah, I guess that's what exactly what I'm saying is that one will just beget the other and it'll almost like mm-hmm. normalize. Like I feel like we're almost like now like really off kilter, like, but it almost might be like the next generation being so okay and not techno paranoid. Right. Um might be able to be like, oh yeah, there's totally five different realities going at, on at once. And one of them is very physical, you know, yeah. and, and, and we have deep appreciation for it, you know? Totally. Well, two things spark from that. One is that hopefully soon uh, we won't be dealing with digital computation as much. So we won't be mm. dealing with that foundation of the binary of the zero and one. But the, right. we will move into quantum computation, which will allow mm-hmm. for all this multiplicity, uh, you know, matter and energy on on an atomic and subatomic scale changing according to, like, observations and so forth. Um, another thing is, back to this sort of idea of foraging as an emphasis, I've seen a trend with some video games where they're foraging within the game and then oh yeah the right component so there's that game uh red dead redemption that just two that came out like a year or so ago and it had been eight years in production and uh 
it's set at like 19, I think late 19th century or mid 19th century uh, in the US in North America. And a lot of the wildlife that's in there is some of it that has been become extinct. Like some of the birds have become extinct since that time, but they're represented in that game. And you can play the game as a bird watcher, so to speak. Like you have binoculars. <laughs> um, and, if, and if you hear bird calls, you, know, you can pull up your binoculars and look around and see if you can find them. You can also forage and collect different plants, you know, that are native to whatever area it is that you're in. I think it's like, I think you're in the Midwest or Southern. I don't know. I haven't played it much, but these elements fascinate me because there was a tremendous amount of research that went into it. And, um, and I, if a player wants to learn more about those birds or those plants, there is that jumping off point. You know, maybe there, it was easy for them to enter into the natural world through a game, but then that could inspire them to then like go out into the base reality where those things are actually growing. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Or like, or the two things could happen at once. You actually could walk out into physical reality, look at an herb and be like, what is this? And then you can just pull up a screen and like, it'll like, you can get information on it, like right, right there, there you know? Yeah. There's this uh, young coder, this girl, she taught herself Python online and like got on GitHub and started asking people how to code things. And she's been working on some AI to help you identify plants mm. in that way where you just like hold your phone up to it and the AI will sit there and kind of try and figure out what plant it is and be able to, to identify it for you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Where you like, you know, you have that brain that's helping you figure it out, but you also like can maybe open up a screen in reality and be like, I'm interested in this one plant and zero in on it, you know, and that we're, where the one ends and where the other begins, you know, but, um, yeah, really scary realities like for, uh, but also, um, you know, a lot more surveillance, a lot more, et cetera, et cetera. But, but there's potentials that of certain parts of it that are, that are perhaps more, um, that are less fucked up than the world that we've lived in, you know? Right. Yeah. I think the scary part for me never really is the technology. It's the motivation behind it. Like who, yeah, totally. who's funding it or why is there a Starbucks in this, <laughs> right, this yeah. landscape instead of a, you know, an extinct bird. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like I watching the Adam Gazzley videos, he was like, and this is really cutting edge. So we can't get conventional whoever to fund it. So it's, um, you know, it's like private philanthropist and, you know, and then, then being like, Oh, well it's a Starbucks chase bank world. That's training you to like, um, to do better in institutionalized situations. You know, you're like, the, you're like, what is this going to be used for? <laughs> you know, right. but, um, but at the same time, that is, it's similar to like, like the Ritalin and Adderall. It's like, well, this is the system that you have to like, that's there for you to try to succeed in if you're going to succeed in like a conventional way. Um, but watching also like corporate structures break down and not being like kind of at least the corporate structures of like the model from like the fifties. Like I looked at like 
um, eras of America on Wikipedia. And it's like, oh, there's, you know, there's the Depression era. There's like World War II. Like then there's the post-war period. And it says that we're, that still has us historically in the Reagan era, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's like 1981 to present the Reagan era. And I was like, no way, really, you know, Um, but it does make sense in like a, like how we look at achievement and an economy and like value systems and, and the stuff we're talking about here puts us on to the other side of that, but also like um, what, you know, these things are training people to operate well, to be healthy, quote unquote, but that just means that they are able to operate function in society. It's like what version of society requires what kind of digital drugs, you know? Right. Right. And then like we could get to the dark side of it and let's talk about where the where the devices come from, where the components all come from, how those are sourced and, and mined and aggregated. You know? It's like there's yeah. a reality that we don't often see that's the people that are forced into slave labor. To, you yeah, and weren't you said you were talking before about um people in, in Africa where they're mining um, very particular minerals yeah. for smartphones, like making art with older versions of, of phones. Right, right. Um, i got to think about his name for a sec. The performance artist from the Republic of Congo who works with the sort of discarded che- technologies in in describing or in sort of like dealing with that relationship of the coltan sourcing that happens there. Um, let me look up his name. Sorry, I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, no problem. <clears throat> yeah, that the Red Dead Redemption, I was looking into that after we talked about it before and, you know, you're able to like um, be an herbalist or or get really into birds and there's like like a huge list of birds that actually existed then that like way, wasn't it way more that they sat down like a Audubon society um, expert. And there was like more birds that he could even like identify. Um, it was like that. Are there, yeah, there are more that, that thorough birds on his list than he could, that were represented in the game. than he saw in the game, but some of them, he heard their calls, but he's like, you know, if I'd spent longer, I probably would have seen all of them. Right. And some of them he appropriately never saw because, you know, there'd be birds that wouldn't often be seen. Right. Yeah. That it's that the ecology is that deep. But I also saw that, like, if you um, if you wound an animal while you're you can hunt in the game. And if Mm -hmm. you wound an animal like you, you have to track it down, you know, like. Right. Yeah. And that and that if you like. Um, treat your horse well, like your ability, like this, like your ability to have it do what you want increases or like it, like, you know, you, your relationship with it um, improves, like the better you treat it, you know, like, right. which I know we were talking about like a whole, there's a whole like moralistic layer of that game and kind of being like, you know, if you, that's the whole thing with it, right. That it's like, are you going to be an honorable player or a dishonorable player? And like the reward system built into, um, into that, like 
of like who who are you going to kill and shoot and who who are you going to help and save you know totally <laughs> um i just found the name of the artist from the republic of congo his name is maurice mbikai m-b-i-k-a-y-i and he calls it um junk technology <laughs> <laughs> And it's full on performance. Yeah, it's like performance and costume. Um, mm. He he talks about the unequal trade in colonization and slave wage labor or low wage labor and the ecological catastrophe that that's sort of hidden by the glossy veneer from Silicon Valley. You yeah, know, we are on the side of the mirror that gets the the gloss because of where we happen to live and because of the companies that are here, we get to benefit from their spoils. But he's presenting another side of it where he's like on the other end, you know, but this is uh, like 80% or somewhere at that room, definitely over half, but about 80% of the world's supply of coal pen comes from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Wow. So you can imagine if you pick any one place in the globe that has a resource, an abundant resource, and you imagine the impact of something like computer, personal computers has had and how many people use them and the push for everybody to have them and use them. And then put that sort of strain on one location in, in the globe. It's. Yeah. It's insane. You know, but it's really, yeah, to it, me, it's unfathomable because I've never been there and I haven't suffered that side of it. But it's very, it's sort of real. So again, this idea of multiple realities at once. Right. Totally. Yeah. That, and that you might navigate yourself into like a darker reality, or it might be barred from you. But, but also that you know, in a world that, at least in some part, is trying to decolonize, um, that it's a looks like a growing priority to um and it falls in with like what happens after the end of this like jupiter and saturn conjunction earth epoch that's about resource raping and territory holding mm-hmm. um like what's the next trend in in technology at all like that if it's more and more non-material and like right now it requires like still these devices and these objects but i mean that i think that's the thing that we can barely fathom yet like when they start explaining to us that you're like well where's the transmitter where's the receiver where's the the thing where's the computer and they're like oh well we don't actually need anything physical to do this (laughs) you know um where it starts getting really strange and taking off in a different direction, you know? Right. Yeah. And this, this idea of the immateriality of things or that like growing non-material sort of air sign aspect. Um, like, you know, we have cryptocurrency, there's blockchain, but when we think about other kinds of currencies, like this whole Instagram influencer, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, it's a it's a completely new currency. It's still based off of an old model, but you have these people that reach some sort of social acclaim on Instagram, and they have what's called influence. 
but then now we're starting to see companies like part of the old old yield world like coming in and, and yeah, yeah. that again or like asking them basically for their social or Instagram currency, all their followers and that attention to then make more money off of that. Yeah, I can totally see that, like the amount of followers you have being eventually rooted to your actual bank account or that is your bank account, you know, like your ability to access um, not funds, but your ability to access more experiences other than what's provided for you by like, um, you know, it mon- you know, you're monitored to like when you need new clothing or furniture and it's just delivered by drone and then anything outside of that, just those basics is stuff that you have access to depending on how popular like you are as far as followers. But that reflects like how much people value your um, what you create and what you output, you know, like and that being kind of more part of the hustle, like rather than um having to like that you can't, there is like an independence in it, like that you can create an autonomy of like, you can create whatever you want, but you're still can only recreate like what's, um, what will like, what will be valued by like a larger value system, you know, but, but, um, but in like, in this air sign reality, there's like a, like it kind of spells that out, like within the three signs, like Libra being very social and very creative and being like kind of a hostess for like, for arts culture. And then uh, Gemini being very like journalistic and kind of lots of information at once. Like, Mm -hmm. and then Aquarius being very much like, what's the new thing, you know, what's the next, what's the next thing, the Mm -hmm. thing that like doesn't exist yet, you know, that those are kind of like the three directions you can go. Like you can like, like host like hosting culture like media like like me, like media culture and then kind of like um kind of like abstract conceptual like theoretical like like the people like the people born with um uranus and there's like the the subgenerations like the people that have pluto and sagittarius neptune and aquarius and uranus and aquarius so it's like 1998 to 2002 are probably like some of the most extreme Aquarians. Like those like will probably be the people as we move into a lot of this air sign stuff are just going to be, they, they were born during the internet explosion and the tech bubble. And um, they might be like more the ones who are like Aquarian in the sense of like, kind of like presenting new, new ideas and new technological visions, but then, telling you what to believe in, you know, like telling you what's real, <laughs> like being like, you know, cause there's that Aquarius, like kind of manifesto maker, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, but then the ones that are like Pluto and Sagittarius, Neptune and Aquarius and Uranus and Pisces, which is 2002 to 2008, um, have a more like well-rounded thing going on where it's like a fire sign, a water sign and an air sign. And it is worth noting that it lacks an earth sign, um, you know, but that they're, um, they have two Jupiter signs, like two Jupiter ruled signs. They're like, like the Pluto and, and Sagittarius and, and the Uranus and Pisces. So like more, like kind of like getting more like malleable and experimental with beliefs and trying to find new beliefs. Um, 
and this might be like where you really start seeing like the technological drug, like it's this generation, you know? So when they're, when they're like in their twenties, um, cause the people born now, well, Neptune is in Pisces. Uh, it makes sense that like, well, Neptune in, is in Pisces. It's like a lot of drug legalization, but also opi- opioid like epidemic. It's like very Pisces. Um, but yeah, the like it's like the two overlaying on each other, like which ones are in your birth chart and then what's going on now. And you see them making squares and sextiles to each other, and that's when things pop a lot of times. Like when the people who have like um like Uranus and Pisces in their chart get to the point where they're they have like that that Uranus and um like square to their natal chart that's like when like an event happens and that's like when they're teenagers, you know, but yeah, sorry. I went on kind of a tangent. (laughs) Um, I was just kind of thinking back to the sort of, uh, idea of currency too, or like social credit had me thinking about what's been happening in Japan for the past couple of years in the last year. They, I think it, the app is called like Open Sesame or is it, oh, Sesame Credit. It's like this app where people can buy things and um, sell things or whatever. It's like used as basically a wallet. And you can do everything through it, like, you know, pay for your taxi cab and all that sort of stuff through it. But all the data that's being collected through there, people are being ranged and given scores. And uh, and so there's this system emerging. It's voluntary right now, but the Chinese government has this social credit system where criminal behavior and financial, like being in debt financially, uh, will give you low scores. And you will then be penalized for it, restricted from things like... Uh, you know, buying an airline ticket or something like that. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think in a world where they're trying, you know, we're right now, we're kind of like, people are like, you know, it's maybe a more ecologically sound thing to just vacation in your own local area, you know, like uh, where everyone still wants to, like, fly on airplanes, but we know that flying on airplanes should be limited. Like, um, these kind of ways that, well, um, that governments, I guess, or will come up with like limiting people's experiences based on like their own trying to say like, well, it's your fault. Like, look at, look at the things you did. That's like, that reflects like your, your ability to have some of these resources, which like not everyone can have this stuff, you know, like, uh, but it might be a different um, a different marker than than just being able to afford it or not, you know. Right. Like, like with um, as it moves into air signs, like it's like if you think about it as like tarot, it's like not and won't be longer. Like, well, how many coins do you have? Like, how many pentacles do you ha- do you have on the table? It'll be like, well, how creative are you? you right. Know? Right. With still like an element of like how how well can you follow along and just like not fuck up, you know? Mm-hmm. 
but yeah. <clears throat> well, and wouldn't um, that even be, would the Saturn conjunct Jupiter influence that in a certain way, like that keeping the sort of, you know, there's an expansion, but within these limitations. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of what that cycle is about, is like um, periods of over-optimism and people of periods of like over conservatism and then when things are actually able to like move forward is something that's stable enough to happen it's a mixture of jupiter and saturn you know it's like oh well i i believe this is going to work and i i feel like you know i'm i believe in it i'm behind it but i also am careful with it and i know that it has limits mm-hmm. um and yeah and so i think that's like what that cycle does kind of represent their their role and in act and manifestation that's that's like meaningful and stable. That's why you can pull back and be like, use that tracking system to be kind of like, Oh, here's where all the changes are rather than see the things that are wild mutations that stuff came out of the gate too fast and things got really fucked up or things got pulled back. Like all the pieces got pulled away because people got scared or those are like, those don't reflect like as much like, um, you know, like virtual reality headsets coming out in the early nineties or whatever, you know, right. It, we might later be like, Oh, is that when it happened? Or, or is it like more like where we're at in the timeline now? Um, I wanted to mention that what you showed me of, um, the virtual embalming. Oh yeah. Um, it's like, wait, remind me which one. <laughs> I, I have it right here. It's like, um, I think the person who put it together, the whole thing is presented in such a way that you're like, wait, what is this? Who, who is it? Who made it? What happened here? You know? Uh-huh. Um, but it's called virtual embalming. And the guy who made it is, uh, Frederick Heyman. And it looks like he has three, um, artists kind of, um, like curate their own um, kind of like how they'd be remembered forever in a kind of like virtual space. Yeah. And it's Isabella Hubert, Kim Pierce and Michelle Lemmy. And, um, and then they kind of like, you can't tell if it's like an installation piece and everything is like 3d printed. And it's like um, these kind of like, like statue versions of themselves. But as you watch it, you're like, no, wait, this isn't like, false reality in that sense it's actually all digital and it's like an animation sort of but it's photographic it's almost like maybe they set up the scene and filmed some of it but then added more through animation so it's very confusing like what you're looking at it definitely pushes the boundaries of of like am i looking at like an artificial reality like a physical artificial reality or a digital artificial reality or is this reality (laughs) you know right yeah. Oh, you could get so lost in those images. I I want to think that it's in a 3D environment. When you look closely at it, I mean, the texture is so considered. He does such a great job with all those details. Uh-huh. The, the human forms obviously look like the people they're representing. So is it, you know, did he build these... Did he sculpt these 3D forms and then add a mesh that's informed by how the person actually looks? And then there's some process photos where it actually looks like he built a part of the installation 
in studio, but then put that photo in this 3D space. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things we'll see more of, like with 3D printing and with um, with virtual reality and with like holographic media is like being like where you can experience the same thing in in those multiple different versions. Like you can hang out, you can go to the space and touch the stuff. You can like um, be in a like a completely fake version of the space, just laying in your bed, or you can kind of um, like there's kind of in between states of that, you know, where you're in embellished spaces, like embellished physical spaces, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're like, and then what the question that he asked them was, how do you want to be remembered in the future? And then it's kind of like they're, they're like kind of eternal digital memorials that they, that they made, they self curated for themselves. And then they kind of speak about it. But yeah, it's definitely like, Yeah, made me wonder about um, one thing I keep wondering about virtual reality and AI is like how readily it is to be haunted. You know, mm-hmm. like if like if you can um, if you can speak with a with like a spirit with a pendulum, like like or a Ouija board, like yeah. readily anytime anytime you want. You know, like when you have a situation set up that has kind of like an ambiguous physical space and like a, um, an intelligence that's kind of reading you for cues to like, to figure out how to act to you, uh, like how easily it would be to kind of call a spirit into that space and how easily like spirits might be attracted to those kind of spaces and intelligence kind of templates, you know? Right. And is it going to, are we going to see a subset of spirits that are attracted to that because they experience some of those technologies in their lifetime? Right. Yeah, totally. Like as, yeah, as like dead people. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then I was imagining like how close even like now sort of it could be for, um, you know, this kind of Philip K. Dick reality that like only, you know, only 15, 20 years ago, you remember like reading, sitting around and reading a Philip K. Dick book and it's like, Oh, it's an agency that preserves the intelligence of your, like, um, your actual deceased relative. And you can speak to them for a limited amount of time through this computer interface. That's kind of like a virtual reality experience. And you're like, wow, that's so insane. And then I was thinking about that after watching the virtual embalming and I was like, you could actually probably do that like today, you know, like you could take, uh, like a necromancer or a medium and team them up with someone like Gazali or even like a protege, like some, someone who just worked, you know, someone who just like had a little like of that tech running on some com- computer mm-hmm. and, and you could probably make that like project just go off like immediately and be like, okay, well let's start actually talking to your, your dead relatives. You know? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. We know that because if they've been online at all and have any sort of like social um, media data on them, then that's a very easy thing to just pop into AI, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, totally. Spit back some things that seem like. Yeah. And even, and even if they're older than that, like if you're, if you can get them to speak through like 
playing cards, you know? Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we can get them, we can already get them to speak through tape recordings and video recordings, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's not that it's, yeah, you're right. It's not that far of a leap. That's it's today. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Which made me wonder if it's already happening and also made me wonder if I sh- that's what I should be doing right now. <laughs> well, I think we need to, we need to talk some more offline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. <laughs> about this. Um, I, when I went to grad school, I was, all of a sudden I became a good student because of the computer. <laughs> uh, right. Before I then like kicked out college, you know, just like, had a horrible time because I was like, this shit is not real. Get it? This is not real. I'm not playing this game. Um, But then in grad school, all of a sudden, I had the ability to use a computer and I became so fascinated with um, what it meant for connecting with the other side and what it meant for connecting with spirit. And I remember signing up to Facebook. This is like 2007. I signed up for a Facebook account not because I wanted to be part of it, but because I was curious of how it worked. And I immediately became fascinated with what happened when a person died, what mm. happened to their profile, and how it became this place of mourning, just that person's page. You know, it was like, you could go right. there, you could leave flowers, you could go there, you could leave comments, or you could just go there and sense their presence because you saw something that they contributed to. Yeah. Right. And uh, I actually did like a class presentation on it. And as soon as my presentation was done, we took a break and I got a text telling me that, um, my brother-in-law passed away and it was just like this complete crash of, you know, these realities at once and it's first yeah. I've ever been texted about a death. Someone criticized me. They're like, that's such a horrible thing. And I was like, why? That was how I was communicating with family. <laughs> right, know? yeah. That was the only people I was texting at the time were just family members. So, um, yeah, so I think it is it is a very viable way of sort of sparking memory and sparking that openness of, of your unconsciousness to be able to accept communication from spirit and yeah to um yeah to just conjure it and just sort of set the stage for that communication to occur yeah and if if you know if this virtual embalming um you know like you said it's just like like um you know everyone there's one certainty in life right that will all die and so you're like this virtual embalming thing is a thing then it's like okay well that's something you do at some point that you just and maybe this non-morbid thing, not like you wait until you're old and you're like, I better make a will. It's something you can like have your whole life and continually tweak, like, like, like your profile or whatever, you know, that you're like, do you have the component of your, like, these are all my kind of pictures and my videos and my presence now, but this is my part of it. That's like my memorial forever. This is like my forever, like piece of it, you know, like to operate that way. And that it can be like a place you can visit in virtual reality. It makes me think about, um, like journeying practices and, you know, like when, like astral travel or, or shamanic, um, practice or journeying, you know, where you're, what is the difference between the spirit world and the imaginal world and the dream world, you know? And then if we're throwing in, like, eventually, what about the AI VR world, you know, like, and that 
are, can you visit them all sort of in the same way and in the same capacity and move between them? And do they all affect each other? Like I was wondering about with those, um, the stuff Adam Gasly was doing with like, not just like, Oh, it's a hyper immersive game and you're using your cognition and your ability to multitask. But when adding like, um, like magnetic and electric impulse, like through the like the scalp, like that, like low invasive stimuli, mm -hmm. like, um, if, you know, we know just to do journeying practices, you kind of just lay down and let yourself go into a hypnagogic state and have constructs that you use. And so that's already like virtual reality that you can do without technology, you know, mm -hmm. but technology existed, um, could, like journeying could even like extend a like could induce and extend a hypnagogic state and and um allow you through like a technological interface to actually like enter into some of these virtual embalming worlds like just using it as kind of a term and if like the person had set that up and it was ai assisted and you could actually sort of cognitively go there in like kind of in a literal way that you could continue to communicate with people who were not dead at, I mean, who were dead or not alive. And then also people also things that weren't people at all, you know, right. um, and that they could come in, they, that they were, of course, at that same time, if we're like, if we allow, if we extend those worlds into this world through similar technologies, like, AI and 3D printing and et cetera, like soft robotics or whatever we're talking about here, like um, holographs, et cetera, like, like that, how much agency they have and how much more interaction between the two starts to exist. Like if you think about like, um, like the spirits of the grimoires say, and like the, the being originally conceptualized, um, if you follow the tradition backwards to one, it's multiple things at once. It's, not one thing as often happens when you go backwards in history, but the fallen angels being responsible for teaching civilization to humankind, like even, mm. you know, uh, alchemy and building things and astrology and uh, social arts, but also even like cosmetics and like, you know, so essentially like costume reaping and like decorating yourself and building things and, and commerce, you know, uh, and being able to dialogue with, with a larger reality with the sky. So eventually it turns into like other forms of, you know, a lot of technology like spins out of that, but yeah. that, you know, going into other, into the other side and allowing things to come into this side is what magicians have done forever. And in, and it's obviously in indigenous cultures, but that if that's something that's just, you know, when you log onto Instagram, like the future version of that, like you stepping into another reality and, and trafficking with the spirit, like, is that like every, at that point, like, is that a completely like magical reality, you know, or is that a, is that allowed to happen? You know? Right. right. Cause I think that it, us thinking about it as like technology, like or what did AI do? Oh, they assist thinking. They'll help us think better. I just feel like it'll, that'll get haunted super quickly, you know, Absolutely. to where we're like, who is on the other end of the line? You know, when we start to track unpredictability, you're like, well, the AI isn't completely predictable. And then people think like, you know, trying to do investigation, like 
well, where is that unpredictability coming from? What are why why do they have nuance rather than being a hundred percent predictable? And then it's only a matter of time where you know there's something subtle happening to where they're being influenced by something other than the components, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. Um, it's bringing to mind a few things. One is uh, there's this artist who has a show up right now in New York named Ian Chang, and he works with what he calls live simulations. And it's pretty much using like game engines and animation utilizing AI. And he'll kind of put different sort of cram different brains into a character, like one brain being um, that sort of AI that's looking after its base needs, like to find food when it's hungry or get sleep when it's tired, that sort of thing. And then also have some, uh, another brain that's used in first person or in shooter games where, you know, you run or you attack or you do these different things. So just, he's trying to figure out what happens when you put all these together, but he has a, a piece up right now called Bob. Um, it's an acronym for the bag of, Oh, what is it called? Bag of something. Can't remember exactly, but it's a it's an AI and it's like this serpentine fractalized piece uh, or creature that's like part tree branch, part serpent. And he's made an app for it where you put these things on a shrine. The app is called the Shrine, so you give it these different objects, and it's supposed to. It's trying to learn what to do with that object and whether to trust you or not based off of that. And his whole impetus, the artist's whole impetus is that humans are motivated to interact with things. Like we're in interacting with an apple, for instance, we have the motivation that we're hungry. So that's why the most part we're picking the apple or, you know, picking it up and grabbing it. And so he's wondering what happens to AI when it doesn't have that motivation instilled in it. What does it do? Or how does it decide to trust the person that gives it to it? Um, so that was one thing I was thinking about. And then another, which is just, again, this is a complete different tangent, but um, thinking of the late 60s and early 70s and the sort of techno hippies that were developing some of these technologies that we're talking about now that have grown way out of their hands of what they thought it was going to do or what they hoped it would do. Um, I mentioned to you off air earlier, um, Stuart Brand, who was part of Merry Pranksters and uh, also was a big, he's an editor of the whole Earth Catalog but what I didn't know until recently was that while tripping LSD, he's looking up at the sky and he was like, oh, I get it now that our perception that the world is flat and indefinite, like stretches indefinitely, comes from the fact because we've never seen it from outer space. Mm. We've never gotten this external perspective of it. And so he started campaigning to have NASA take a photo of the Earth. Um, and like getting kicked off of campuses and so forth and doing kind of like Mary Prankster style, but he's very 
serious about it. And turns out his brother was a, a professor at MIT. And so that sort of caused some alarms to go off. Some people are like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> you know, like that, that ever so famous, gorgeous photograph of the earth that NASA took is because of his pushing for them to do it. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. That was in 1966 or 67. It looks like. <laughs> yeah. I want to like look more into that date. Cause yeah. 67. I was, yeah. Yeah. I want to look into that date where like that was released or into like his story and try to look at the astrology for that. Cause I was looking at a bunch of other dates today along those lines. Um, one that like, that was generated by something that you had asked me. Um, trying to look for it here. Or I think it was just like along earth signs and like the air signs in general. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think cause you were asking about like if Neptune was an air signs in late, 60s you know like uh, in this period that he he'd be thinking these things you know yeah. <laughs> um but it's not and but that whole it was like in the late 60s it was pluto and uranus both in virgo uh and neptune and scorpio <clears throat> so it was like kind of it's interesting like looking at the earth you know like well, well let's see it from from not the earth you know <laughs> yeah um, but uh the mirror. Let's look in the earth mirror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then we have like Neptune and the last time Neptune was in in an air sign before Neptune and Aquarius, which Neptune is in Aquarius nineteen ninety-eight to two thousand twelve. But the last time Neptune was in an air sign was um nineteen forty-two to nineteen fifty-seven. So like the same idea. Oh as what we were saying, like the people who were born with that would be the people who were in their twenties in like in the, in the late sixties, you know? You said that was 42, 47. Yeah. Neptune and Libra is 1942 to 1957. So that's like, right. It's Libra. So it's like the end of the world war, you know? And then like the Nuremberg trials, like, like a couple of years after that ingress and in that, like that um, Libra, like diplomacy period, but, also, right when Neptune, go, the day Neptune goes into Libra in 1942, um, is the first object reaches space on October 3rd of 1942. The first A4 rocket is successfully launched from the test stand in Germany. I mean, it's the first thing that we launched into space. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So that's that's the other whole dimension of this is like, which we haven't gone into at all. This has just been about virtual reality, but this like, uh, like, space program like um multi-planetary kind of species thing is likely to happen like the moon conjoins neptune um like a couple months later so it's like the second time i think the moon conjoins neptune after being in an air sign is the uh initiates the first self-sustaining nuclear chain reaction mm. um and they and the Manhattan Project, and they send back the coded message: the Italian navigator has landed in the New World. <laughs> yeah. And then there's like, um, what's the other? There's another one just like this, like, um, oh yeah. And then it, 
We also have like an event like on September 2nd, 1945 um, with Jupiter. Jupiter just ingresses Libra where Uranus is. And the moment the two shared the sign together, um, I mean, where Neptune is, like Jupiter comes in and is going to conjoin Neptune and Libra. So it's a few years after like, um, you know, Neptune being in Libra, but like it's, you know, Jupiter being in a sign for 13 months finally catches up with Neptune there. And that's right when we get the, um, Arthur C. Clarke puts forward the, the first idea for the geosynchronous communication satellite and wireless world magazine. Yeah. So there's, there's definitely a lot of like when stuff's in air signs, you see that like space communications, like, like space in more senses than just outer space is like we've been demonstrating, you know? Right. A lot of like the foundational um, or like landmark moments in technology occurred in that time that made computation and the internet possible in the nineties and two thousands and now. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That all, it all seems to happen in air signs. And totally. Then- That's so fascinating. Yeah. In the, it was like 1948 when the transistor, as we know it as like being this miniature component was created and became available. And that was how we were able to shrink computers down from a large ass room into like these smaller personal components and yeah. And satellites like integrated circuits and all of that, that made that possible. Like that photograph could not have been taken in the seventies had these, uh, these chips and, and transistors and components been created or shrunken down in the forties, fifties and sixties. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So there, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to sift through there. Like if you start getting into like that kind of wormhole, but probably should wrap it up. But I just wanted to like, kind of when we were talking about like going into these spaces and being, being able to be like sustained into these spaces and, and like, what if like you can actually interact with, with spirits there, people who are dead or people who were never human or et cetera, et cetera. And like how possible that could be. And, and, um, even right now, like I was just made me start thinking about at that point, how possible, like how, how close are we to like time travel experiences? You know, like if, uh, you might be like eerily closer than you think if like the parameters that get taken away of what's stopping you from, from um, having a conversation with your, your great grandmother right now, like you're like, Oh, it's, it's not too far away to realize you're like, Oh, wait a minute. We actually can experience multiple times at once. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, maybe more for another episode, but thanks for, uh, coming back on and chatting with me and definitely we should just keep this rolling every once in a while, like come back on and talk about art and technology. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, I feel bad. I realize we haven't even, I mean, there's so many ways to branch off of this and tangent off, but that we didn't even touch on our toe with even the term virtual reality, but <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, yeah, it's so large. And thank you for having me on again. Yeah, for sure. We should definitely continue this. And um, I want to kind of try to have like, like this person is my correspondent on this topic. And so as much as you want to talk about this stuff. Definitely.
Thank you for listening to Liminal Light. I'm your host, Chrissy Puccieri. You can find me at ataviseral.com, A-T-A-V-I-S-C-E-R-A-L.com, where I post articles and forecasts, offer astrology consultations, cardomancy, tarot, divination, and occult services. Prayers and blessings. Thank you.